0: Welcome to the Real Forno Show on this glorious Monday evening. I am your host, Tyler Fornes. We are 17 days away from round one of the NFL draft, so I thought I would bring the draft legend Thor Nystrom from NBC Sports Edge to talk about the most important positions on the field, and that is the skill positions. We're going to talk about why Malik Willis is a top five prospect in this draft, dive into the running back class, which is very different from past years, another deep wide receiver group, and while it's not top heavy, This tight end group is stacked, so make sure you uh, stay tuned with us on The Real Forno Show. Welcome to The Real Forno Show.
1: Tyler Fornes, contributor at NBC Sports Edge and USA Today's Vikings Wire, along with being a member at Climbing the Pockets.
0: Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of The Real Forno Show on this Monday evening. I am your host, Tyler Fornis. We've got producer Dave in the truck. And with me is the legend of NCAA 14 himself with all the beautiful mini helmets in the background. His name is Thor Nystrom of NBC Sports Edge. Thor, welcome to the Church of Malik
2: Willis. How are you? <laughs> Good to be here, brother. I'm ready to worship.
0: Oh, absolutely. It, then you know what? Let's, let's start off with the man himself, Malik Willis, because you and I are really steering, steering the ship of the Malik Willis hype train. And it's, it's really interesting to see how many dissenters there are, because when we watch him in Mobile, the first thing we notice is that arm absolutely popped. And when you watch him on film, he's just playing hero ball 24 seven, because he's, he doesn't, ha- he doesn't have an offense capable of helping him in any way, nor does he have talent around him. Um, when you watch Willis, your biggest takeaways are he is the best player in this class. And I know you have said that before um, on our our friends Purple Daily, their show. So uh, talk us through Malik Willis a little bit. Why do you love him so much?
2: It's not the love? Uh, you know, the I call him the right hand of Michael Vick because there's no other player in NFL history that, that you can compare those tools to. There, there's only one guy with the arm and the athleticism. And that's Vic. I mean, the the arm strength is, is analogous. The athleticism is analogous. Um, And, and Malik Willis is a little bit more fortified and runs with a little bit more power. Now jury's out of course, if he reaches that ceiling, but just by definition, you have a a, a transcendent talent in, in a class where there's really no other quarterbacks that, that even come close to qualifying for that. Um, For me, you got to roll the dice right, right away. I mean, if, 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 if I had a quarterback need and I was sitting at number one, I would be picking Malik Willis, number one. And for sure, if I was the Detroit Lions, I'd be taking Malik Willis, you know, if and when he's there.
0: Absolutely. And I did just that on um, NBC Sports Edge. is a good football show here this afternoon, so make sure you go check that out. We did a full mock draft, and Malik Willis to two makes so much sense. Now, the rest of this quarterback class, Thor, is interesting, and we we disagree as far as how we stack our top five. Um, I have Carson Strong at number two. You believe I, I believe have him at number four. Is that correct? Five or is it five?
2: Five. I, I so, got him at uh, five, but, through, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Walking well, Carson Strong. I was just going to say he's close. Okay. Carson Strong. Yeah, yeah. Well, Carson Strong. I mean, you love the arm, right? Like, I mean, the, the guy's got a bazooka. Uh, top three arm strength in the class. You know, you put it next to Willis and Corral, it, It's that sort of grouping. Um, We talked about this, Tyler, down in in Mobile and and plenty of times since, but Carson Strong, he has this sort of wonky evaluation where people are are giving him this scarlet letter of having this degenerative knee when I haven't – like I've heard from multiple uh, uh, medical teams have cleared that knee. I I haven't heard one definitively come out to say that they haven't. And so for me, it, it seems like this a guy who was playing through that injury last year he was wearing the knee sleeve all year. His mobility was compromised. His ability to plant and throw off, uh, you know, off that leg, you know, get, get the full arm strength, that was compromised. His ability to, to play under pressure was compromised, for, you know, for a combination of the two things. And then not wanting to drive into, you know, step into, um, you know, the, the human wreckage in front of him, uh, you know, to potentially knock himself out of the game with that knee. So I, I actually think that, that maybe it shouldn't be a scarlet letter on his evaluation. He should actually be getting extra credit. For throwing for four thousand plus yards, you know, last year when he didn't have a throwing base and he had no legs under him, it's a slight concern. You have to you have to bake it in a little bit, but I I mean I I still like him. He for me he's really close to Kenny Pickett. And by the time the draft comes, I I may switch that um, because Kenny Pickett his ceiling is just so limited. Um, Whereas Carson Strong, if he hits his ceiling, he's going to be a top half of the NFL quarterback, you know, starter just because of the arm. So. I, I like the kid. He's got a great arm. Got a big league arm for sure. Absolutely. And let, let's transition to Pickett because I
0: don't think he's worth a selection before like the third round, just because as you mentioned it, that ceiling is barely above his floor. And I, I just don't see him ever becoming that top line starter that you would need to invest that that kind of high pick in when you have the Josh Allens and the Lamar Jacksons and the potential Malik Willises of the world who are really winning with just dynamic talent in dynamic traits kenny pickett doesn't possess one how do you uh rationalize selecting pickett relatively early when he is
2: more of a jack of all trades and a master of none you can't (laughs) i i you know i'm definitely not going to make that case for him uh you know everyone talks about the little hands that smell like cabbage um and but like and then that's funny for twitter jokes but That's actually not my concern with him. My concern with him is he was a five-year player at Pitt, a four-plus-year starter, you know, four and a little change, and he didn't blow up until his last year. He didn't even really get above mediocre until his last year. And his last year, he had one of the nation's best receivers in Jordan Addison. He had one of the nation's best and deepest receiving cores. They went five deep legitimately at Pitt, at, at receiver. They had two good tight ends. One of them's in this class, Lucas Curl, two receiving tight ends. And then they had two running backs as well. And then something that people don't talk—they talk all about the hands. I don't know why they don't talk about this. He, Kenny Pickett and Pit—you and pit, know, by you know, on the whole or whatever. But Kenny Pickett, specifically with this evaluation, got so lucky with his schedule last year. I, I went through and I, I added up all the the ranks of the SP plus defenses that that Kenny Pickett played because, of course, he, he opted out of the ball game. You average him out, it's number eighty. Um, Zach, Zach Wilson, one of the things in the last class that I was sort of dogging him for was being a one-year wonder who didn't jump off until he had these ideal circumstances around him and they played a procession of crappy defenses. I don't think people realize how easy schedule was, and I don't think they realize as well how good his supporting cast was. You mentioned he doesn't have the tools to take over games by himself. So his entire, the entire utility of Kenny Pickett is dependent on the circumstances around him. Right. Well, last year he had the perfect circumstances. So if you're gonna draft him as though he he's that guy, when he's throwing fifty seven percent of his passes or whatever within nine yards of the line of scrimmage, many of them to the best receiver, you know, not not the best, but one of the best receivers in college football, and a crazy yak guy in, in Jordan Addison. There is a lot of inflated uh, um, uh, production there, both in terms of the completions and then also the yardage, where it was just given to him. So I you know, he, he has a short area accuracy. That's what you like. Um, he's a good scrambler, too. Um, he's a little bit more athletic than people think. But, um, yeah, I mean, you're talking, you're talking low-level starter, or high-level backup.
0: Now, uh, speaking of uh, high-level backup, that's kind of how I project out Desmond Ritter, who is a little bit different than Pickett. Uh, Ritter has a little bit more of the athletic upside. He has a good arm, but his mechanics are all over the place, and the accuracy never truly improved over the course of four years. And I know you spoke a lot about Kellen Mond throughout the process last year, never really got better in his four years. And I kind of see the same thing here with Ritter. Um, I think his, his ceiling is that of an Alex Smith, somebody who can run an offense with intelligence, not make a lot of mistakes, but doesn't really offer you that transcendent upside that you're looking for. Do you see Ritter in a similar light?
2: Yeah, well, you know, I I, I complimented, or I, I call him Mainland Marcus Mariota, um, because I I just see so many similarities between Kim and Mariota coming out. It the the one difference was the offenses they played in, right? Like they were polar opposite. Uh, Mariota played in Chip Kelly's like breakneck offense, and then and then Chip left, and then you know, but Helfrich was still running the same thing, and and Ritter, it was more of a um, I, I would say a risk averse type offense where. They, he would toss it up to Pierce when he had the best of it. But other than that, the mandate was take care of the ball. You know, um, your, your point's well taken on, you know, on on the mechanical stuff. He's got a, you know, more of a windup. It's a slower release. Um, and the accuracy is not great. The, the one thing I will say is it did improve a bit last year. Um, the, the year before uh, in, what was it, 2020, he – he had a um this is you know in the preseason, people were high on him. I, I I ranked him as QB9 in my preseason rankings. And the reason was he had uh it was like 63% of his passes were with were closer than 10 yards from the line of scrimmage. Um, and he also had accuracy issues even even with that, even having this easy share of of, of throws within uh 10 yards of the line of scrimmage, and so it was troubling to me. Um, it reminded me very much of the guy I, I ended up comping him to over the summer, Brett Hundley. It was the same thing at UCLA. They did a sideline to sideline passing game. And then, you know, Brett Hundley would use his legs every now and again. And then you were hoping to catch the defense napping with a you know, with a one on one deep shot. Um, but this year, it, he he dropped up within 10 yard throws. It was something like went from like 63 percent to like 54. So it was like a legitimate yeah, I mean, still high. I mean, 50, that's around where Pickett is. It's still in the very high, high end of the class. But it wasn't, like, ludicrous, like like big red flag t- type ludicrous. He did that while improving his adjusted accuracy. Now, it, it's, you know, it's certainly not even anywhere close to, you know, top of the class, nothing like that. But um, for, for me, it was enough to rank him certainly above Kenny Pickett um, and get him up to, to quarterback three in this class.
0: And uh, your quarterback too is somebody that I am also very high on, and that's Matt Corral. Uh, Corral is a really intriguing. uh, What what do you call it? Uh, Evaluation, just because the offense he plays in is about five percent translatable to the National Football League and how they how the offense operates, especially from the quarterback position, with with your reads, your progressions, and just the general concepts of the scheme. When you look at his talent and what he was asked to do at Ole Miss. How do you expect him to translate in a positive light coming to the National Football League?
2: I, I think it's going to take, I, I think he ought to sit at the beginning, um, just because you, you mentioned it, the progressions thing is your biggest concern. But I will say he got better with that this past season. Um, in 2020, he was great. You know, I mean, like you remember, he was great. Like, you know, Elijah Moore and Kenny Yaboa, like it was super duper explosive, but um, like the Arkansas game is where sort of the narrative changed there, um, where Barry Odom was just like, we're going to drop eight guys and we're going to double team or triple team Elijah Moore. Every time you're not throwing to Elijah Moore and, and, and Matt Corral has, he just glitched, you know, you could see like smoke coming out of his ears. He, you know, it, he, he didn't know what was going on or whatever. And he would just toss the ball up confused. He, he hit some linebackers in the chest plate, stuff like that. Um, c- compounding of mistakes. Uh, you, you saw sort of the same thing in the LSU game, although, you know, that, that was, a, so the, the Arkansas game, he threw six interceptions, twenty twenty five in the, in the, in the LSU game, that game was played in a downpour though. Um, so, you know, a little bit of context, but he, the most, I think it was 13 of his 14 interceptions, I think is the number were are in, um, or no, it was even more than that. It, well, anyway. All but one of his interceptions came in three of 10 games last year in, in, in 2020. And what the improvement that we saw was this, this this year when his receiving core was way, way down. And, and you could sort of see this in in, in some of the, the alterations that were made to the offense. They stopped being quite as aggressive downfield. And, and Matt Corral didn't trust them as much. But as opposed to, to Sam Howell, who just wouldn't throw the ball at all, and he'd run all the time. You, you saw um, a, a more fluid... Uh, sort of football intelligence and decision making out of Matt Corral, where he w- he was still testing the defense when you know when applicable. But if if they were doing that crap to him, like dropping the eight and you know trying to trying to take away drum energy and stuff like that, he'd just be like, okay, whatever. I'm I'm going to run this time. Um, he, you know, w- would run run steal five six yards uh, as a scrambler, and that's something he's going to be able to do in the NFL as well. And and dropping a bunch of guys into coverage against him is super attractive because he has a very, very strong arm. Um, it, it was the first thing that popped off for me when he started playing, um, you know, back like early when he signed with Matt Luke in Mississippi. Because he comes out and he's like this little skinny kid. Um, you know, he like, weighs like 185 pounds, but the ball just detonates out of his hands. He, his arm is not as strong as 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 Malik Willis. Um, but it's it's right up there with Carson Strong for number two. You know, the, I mean, those two guys and it might be Corral. Um, so, you know, you, you have you have all the arm talent that you need. You also have a dual threat element to his game. He's also fearless. Um, apparently, he's turned into a really good leader there. You know, he had problems earlier in his life, but he's turned it around, become a you know a leader. He's certainly a gamer. That was a kid that he played through injuries all last year. Could have opted out of the bowl game, arguably should have opted out of the bowl game. Didn't really mean anything to his evaluation, but he wanted to finish his career out with his teammates. Ends up suffering a high ankle sprain that has delayed the start of his pre-draft process. But just the idea that he played, in, you know, in, in the bowl game, I, I thought that was really cool. Um, he, he's got to learn to slide uh, in the NFL, or, or you know, he's going to get escorted off the, the field really quickly. You know, at 190 pounds running around like that, but um, you know, you learn to do that and you learn to go through the progressions a little bit more fluidly. Um, which we've already seen improvement in, and and there's a lot of potential there. I, I rank him quarterback two.
0: And uh, I, he's going to end up my quarterback three behind Carson Strong. But you did mention Sam Howell. He runs a very similar offense with Phil Longo that uh, Matt Crowell runs with Jeff Levy. A lot of pre-snap reads, a lot of, hey, the decision's already made for, for you once uh, once the ball is snapped. How do you decipher out Sam Howell? Because I know you're just as low on him as I am. And the, the Baker Mayfield comps to me don't make sense because Baker Mayfield has a bazooka, and Sam uh, Sam Howell has an al dente penny noodle. <laughs>
2: they, I mean, they he he looked more like um you know previously when he had all the NFL skill guys around him. And what really concerned me was when the 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 the, the skill guys around him when 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 that went away. You know, you lost Diamond Brown, you lost Daz Newsome, you lost Michael Carter, you lost Javante Williams. Um, the the way that his game just cratered, um, you know, specifically as a passer, uh, it was just night and day. the The first year, the first two years, really uh, against the third year, um, and he went, you know, like I, I just complimented Corral for for making better decisions, and then you know, knowing when, uh, you know, it was it was a disadvantageous time to put the ball in the air and then to steal the yards. It, but it, but you know, the, the caveat there was at least Corral would still attack. You know, like he'd ta- he'd take the yardage if it was there, if that was the best option, but he was actively looking to pass with Sam with Sam Howell last year when his first option was gone. Joshua Downs, um, Joshua Downs is the guy that got all of his usage, and when when Downs was 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 not covered or was double covered or whatever, um, a lot of times Sam Howell was just tucking and running. It, it was it was sort of like Corral the, the year before, but the difference is Sam Howell. And and this, by the way, is the big difference between him and Baker Mayfield. This is why I had to uh, you know take away the Baker Mayfield comp from him because he's so risk-averse. Uh Matt Corral would never play like that, you know, to that end of the polarity like like Howell did. And certainly Baker Mayfield wouldn't have either. Um, he has some tools, you know. He came in, um, you know, highly rated recruit. Uh him and Mac Brown turned around a program that had not been very good those first couple of years. But I think in hindsight, we were given too much credit to Sam Howell for that and not enough credit to those NFL skill guys.
0: No, I completely agree. And uh, as we kind of transition away from quarterbacks, we'll do a a quick little blurb on running backs because let's be honest, the Vikings probably won't be taking one until day three at the latest if they do take one, but it is a sneaky need for the Vikings. Um, You did have uh, Brees Hall and Kenneth Walker as your top two running backs. Uh, When you look at them in comparison to previous year's classes there usually is one guy that that there's heavy talk of sneaking in around one this year there isn't so much of that although Brees Hall could be that guy potentially for the Buffalo Bills um how do you see the the top of this
2: class stacking up against classes of years past it's definitely down a little bit um yeah I I would say it's down a little bit I I you know the the maybe the second third tier of running backs that's what I'm interested in so I I would want to get. I would want to be taking my running back in this class like early day, first half of day three, you know, like the round sort of four or five range. Because the, the guys that I like, it's like um, Zamir White, Rashad White, Abram Smith, Damian Pierce, James Cook, Pierre Strong. And then I'm very intrigued by Kevin Harris as, as a sleeper. Um, so th- those sort of seven guys, I'd be sort of sitting on them, fourth, fifth round. And then uh, – <laughs> if I could get Tyler Goodson in, in round six or round seven, I, I do, I would do that in a second as well. So I, you know, th- those are the guys that I like in this class. The, the top of it though, I ain't, I ain't taking Breeze Hall in round one. I mean, Breeze Hall's my my number one running back and I, I like his game quite a bit, but I'm, I'm not taking him in round one. The, the picks are just too valuable there. And in this draft, there's other positions that are stacked. It's not the running back position. So I, I would not let a need dictate me to that. Um, Second round, though, like, you know, Brees Hall, I, I, I don't expect him to be, um, you know, waiting around long to hear his name called on Friday. I, I think any time in, in, in the second round. But uh, with those first round picks, there's not a running back in this class that to me sort of transcends that and and, and breaks the gate down.
0: And I, I absolutely agree. Um, as we kind of uh, hit this running back class quickly um who would be the three guys you think the vikings should target in that day three range obviously the one name that people are going to gravitate towards is james cook being that he's dalvin's brother the skill set is there but it, uh who would be the three guys that you want to want the vikings to target
2: is, is madison still there? Is he gone
0: he will be a free agent after this year which is why it's a sneaky need and the potential okay. moving on from dalvin cook it gets a lot easier after this year so It would leave Kenny Wongwu and AJ
2: Rose as the only running backs on the roster. How funny would it be if they took James Cook with the idea that they were going to be getting rid of Delvin after this year? (laughs) Uh, That would, that would be peak Vikings. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, with, with Delvin, Delvin can handle so much usage and he's so multi-talented that you don't, you know, with, with a lead back like that, you don't have to sort of pen yourself in to a specific kind of back. Um, for me, it would just be, you know, who's, you know, I, you know, I guess like whoever, you know, I like the most that had fallen down there. Um, Kevin Harris would be, would be interesting for me. Um, he, he doesn't catch the ball um, too much, but um, he's he's one of the more underrated, I think power back grinders, early down guys in, in the class. The reason being is because context killed him last year and, and people aren't considering it in his evaluation in 2020 as a sophomore he was fabulously impressive. Um, he, he had a really, really, really strong year uh, behind not a very good offensive line, uh, and there wasn't much talent around him, just period. Um, but you know, this past season, like he had had a, a back injury that he suffered in practice in the summer, and then he, he wanted to, you know, sort of like Carson Strong with the knee. he wanted to, he wanted to rush back and play. He didn't, he didn't want to miss any of the season, but he would compromise through the first, at least part of it, um, where he wasn't moving around as well he wasn't as, um, uh, I guess devil may care into, you know, into contact in into the collisions. Um, cause this is a guy when he's right. Um, it's, it's the sort of battering ram thing where he's going to accelerate into contact. And, um, you know, he, he, that's his game. It's just dealing out punishment or whatever. So I, he would be an interesting guy to, to, to look at, um, Tyler Goodson, maybe, you know, I mean, if, if Tyler Goodson is there, like I said, six, seventh round, um, he, Tyler Goodson does a whole lot of things the the thing that he doesn't really do, it's like running between the tackles, but, um, the, the rest of the stuff, I mean, and he can do that. Just not as effectively as some of these other guys, but the rest of his game, um, I, I I'm taken with, you know, like he, he's a really good, really good receiver, really skilled receiver. Um, he's a better pass blocker than people give him credit for, you know, cause like he's smaller. Um, but he, you know, he sticks his nose in there and stuff. He, he's not dominant at that or anything, but he's certainly passable by an NFL level. Um, and then you have the speed, you have the explosion. Um, he's a guy, you know, played the, in, in his own system at Iowa. I um, mean, he's a guy that if you give him opportunities to, to, you know, to bounce it outside, you give him the opportunity to pick down the line and then, and then do his acceleration thing when he gets into the open field, um, you know, it's the sprinter stance. And he's trying to book it all the way, and he's got the juice to do it. Um, tested really well, so he'd be another guy that I would look at. Um, let's see, another day three guy, maybe um, Tyrion Davis Price. Maybe you know, I, I think he'll probably be there. Um, that would be sort of that would be go- well, not sort of that would be going the complete opposite way of, of Tyler Goodson. Um, you know, Tyrion he's he's a power back, is, is what he's even a bigger one than than Kevin Harris. Harris can do some more stuff outside the tackles and stuff like that. Um, uh, the LSU kid, uh, Davis Price, he better between the tackles. Uh, Davis Price is also arguably the best pass blocking back in this class. So, so you, you know, he would provide you utility w- with that stuff. I think those are three guys I would look at.
0: Absolutely. Um, I know how much you love Spin Shady, and that would be really cool to see him come to Minnesota yes. and be able to thrive I in that wide it. zone system. Oh, it, it would make your Iowa heart very happy. But let's kind of move on to sure something did. that Iowa doesn't know a whole lot about, the wide receiver position. Um, they, the Vikings have one interview, Smith-Marset, but with the transition to a likely 11 personnel system, they don't really have the depth at this point to be able to maximize it. So wide receiver is going to be heavily on the table for the Vikings at some point in the draft. And it could end up being in round one with, with how talented this wide receiver group is. Uh, we were talking the other day about our top wide receivers and I know your piece released over the weekend for NBC Sports Edge, your number one wide receiver is Drake London, somebody we haven't talked a whole lot about on the show because your wide receiver, too, is my wide receiver one and Chris Alave, and that he's been getting a lot of the attention here. What about Drake London's game makes him different from somebody like a Devin Funchess, who is also a very big body receiver who does well in contested catches, but they are far from similar players. What separates him from just being a contested catch guy?
2: Yeah, well, so first about the contested catches, I would say you know his his ball skills it's it's just about the best you've seen in the last five classes. So it's it's you're not you know you sort of put him above the the typical guy that's led by you know like a, a Nikhil Harry, right? Like um, Drake Londons are, are better than that mostly because he can get up he can get up with anybody. He you know he's he's six he's almost six four, but he's like just a shade under. But he his wingspan is six foot six. Um, and, and anything that, you know, so he has this like catch radius of an Indian god, and anything that comes, you know, in it, he's catching the ball. Like he's just got great, great hands. Um, the other thing that people do not give him enough credit for is speed. Um, he he's very quick. Um, he, they, they're, uh, you know, with the timing or the um, what he it the GPS or whatever, he, he's been yeah. clocked in the low 20 mile per hour stuff like that. Um, he's got speed. Um, the, the thing that, that we don't know as much about is the shake. Um, you know, like he's an athletic kid, but like, you know, in the, in the USC offense there, you know, you, you were typically lined up in one spot and you had sort of these pre-delineated routes. Um, you know I, I would have liked to have seen him testing in, in the agility thing, um, but the one question that I do not have about him is speed, and then again you know the, the ball skills are just insane comparable to what we've seen in recent years so so, so that's why I like and, and by the way the 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 ball skills and the downfield skills with him it doesn't just manifest in the chunk yardage that he can give you or the possibility for uh downfield pass interferences, which you know as Minnesota kids. Um, we know all about the value of that with Randy Moss from back in the day when, you know, he would get, you know, one, once per game, it was like they were holding him downfield. We get a 50-yard penalty or whatever. You, you get that stuff. But the other thing about it with him, it's the same thing as it was with Randy, where um, if you if you have that kind of special utility down the field, it opens up spacing for the rest of your teammates. Chris Carter, he was, he was Randy Moss best best. He loved Randy Moss, loved him, because once Randy Moss was there, you can't double-team Chris Carter no more. Right. Because you got to keep you got to keep people back uh, on the one side. If you don't give help back deep to Randy Mott, he's going to score a touchdown. So it, it's the same sort of thing with Drake London, where you're going to have to have help on that side deep. Um, you know, when he gets past the cornerback, you've got to have someone back there over with the cornerback to contest, you know, you know, at the catch point or whatever, because uh, otherwise he's going to go up above any no cornerback can get up with him. You know, like he, he, you know, he didn't jump, you know, do the jumping or whatever, but he would have jumped at least in the mid 30 inches. And again, six foot six wingspan. So he's going to get up above anyone. And if the ball touched his hands, it's coming in. Um, Those are the things I like about Drake London.
0: Now, uh, the biggest question I have uh, is Drake London. How well does he fit with Minnesota in what Kevin O'Connell likes to do in that kind of McVay 11 personnel system? Uh, A lot of uh, choice routes. Does he fit in really well with this receiver group? And of those top five receivers, who would you prefer at number 12 if the Vikings go that route?
2: You know, I'm not really sure that he is. Um, there, there are teams that I think London is a better fit for. Uh, you know, I want him on a team that, um, with a guy who's aggressive throwing downfield and has has the, the arm to get it there, um, I'm sort of afraid that he would be wasted with Kirk a little bit. Um, you know, Cousins' game, it's more like, you know, for the 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 guys that create separation, the I mean, you know, we've seen it with Diggs and, and Thielen and um, you know Jefferson as well. But um, I mean, you know, he can throw it downfield. But like with London, there's you know that Josh Allen's the guy that I I want him to play with. Um, we'll see. But like that, you know, that's the kind of the sort of quarterback that that I would want him with. As far as the Vikings, I think their their type is more like Olave and Wilson and maybe Jameson Williams. I'm not sure, but I, I think the two Ohio State kids would be. Are, are the Vikings
0: tired? I 100% agree. And uh, as we kind of continue to move the show along, day two, guys, is probably going to be where the Vikings end up targeting a receiver if they do get one. You have Sky Moore, Calvin Austin, Christian Watson, George Pickens, Alec Pierce. There are some really good guys in that group. And then you uh, you can also talk about Jahan Dotson, who potentially could be falling to that 46 range. Where are some of your favorite day two guys? And – I, I know Christian Watson's one of them because I know he beat out Traylon Burks for your wide receiver five.
2: For sure, yeah. I mean, if, if Christian Watson ends up getting into day two, we'll, we'll see about that. You know, he, he's definitely knocking on the door of round one right now. No chance he gets the Vikings pick. You know, sorry Vikings, I, I just I do not see it happening anymore. Um, but you know, as far as 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 day two, um, and I'm going to talk about round two specifically. I, I think in this class, it's it's going to be really fertile hunting ground for receivers and. I mean, this is almost a, um, you know, like a, um, a 12 over five in the NCAA tournament type thing at this point where we've seen so many wide receiver hits in round two. It's not like a, a categoric thing. Like, you know, I mean, last year, you know, he had out well. It doesn't look like he's going to turn into a stud. And like, you know, not every single one is a hit, but we've just had so many. I um, mean, you know, over the last decade that have turned into multi-time pro bowlers or whatever. And this class is as well, I, I think is going to have a really good second round for receivers. Um, you mentioned Sky Moore. Um, I mean, he, he would he would be the guy at my the top of my list, assuming the Burks and Watson are not there. But, it, you know, if one of those two guys was, they'd be my top one. But then Sky Moore, um, Dotson, I, I like him, too. Um, in fact, I, there's 10 receivers in this class that I really, really like. For me, there's a, a little bit of a drop off after that. But any of those ten guys I'd take in a second in round two. So, you know, Sky Moore, J- Jahan Dodson, George Pickens, Wondale Robinson are, are are the other ones. Um, and then, you know, even going beyond that, like Khalil Shakir is an awesome slot receiver. Alec Pierce, we talked about him before with Ritter. Um, I, I sort of consider him like a like a, um, uh um like a Ferrari version of Eric Decker. Like Eric Decker with more athletic juice is basically what what Alec Pierce is. Uh, Kelvin Austin, you know we talked about him, Tyler. You know he, he has the, the 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 test. You know the, the basically the exact same size adjusted athletic uh, uh, composite as Tyree Kill does. Um, so you you have that package coming in. You know on the smaller side, but just crazy explosive and fast. Taekwon Thornton is a guy that I'm I'm super interested in from Baylor. Um, it was weird with with uh, Thornton before. You know I, Tyler, you know that I watch a lot of Baylor live because of my brother. You know being an alum, um, Tyquan Thornton did not. Uh, stand out until this past season and he came out of absolute nowhere I mean I shouldn't say nowhere he he was the wide receiver too but we hadn't seen anything anything like we had seen this year um, even though he had been on the field before and so people might wonder why you know w- with that well it's sort of the opposite corollary of what happened to George Pickens when he came back this year where in 2020 when George Pickens looked awesome who was his quarterback JT Daniels, a guy who his his game is predicated on throwing the ball down the field. What's Pickens's special sauce best thing? It's going up and catching the ball in contested situation downfield. So those two, it was a perfect marriage. But then Pickens comes back this year off of his injury late in the season, and Stetson Bennett, the noodle arm scrambler, is now behind center. So it it was not nearly as good of a fit. Um, you know, Stetson Bennett did not like to air it downfield and he didn't have the arm to do it even when he did. We we saw him get it down. Uh, in the championship game, not way way down, but he you know got it as far as he could. Um, but anyway, you you know you you see the the, the difference there. And it was a very similar thing with Taquan Thornton, where previously his first couple of years on campus he was playing with a noodle armed uh, pocket passer in that case, and Charlie Brewer. Last year Baylor goes to Jerry Bohannon. You know uh, Brewer had transferred out. Bohannon's a dual threat guy that can get the ball down the field. Uh, Bohannon has a lot of other warts outside of that. But he he could do that, and you, Tyquan Thornton just took off because the offense was it was grind the ball with Abraham Smith behind you know the, this zone blocking scheme or whatever, and Abraham Smith you know a linebacker convert took to it very quickly, and then when defenses would try to take you know try to start inching up or whatever, because um, he ran end up running for over sixteen hundred yards. That's when they would they would chuck it over the top you know when get get Thornton in one on one situations, incredibly explosive. Um, in the speed, I mean, speed speaks for itself. He, he was one of the the jaw droppers from the NFL Combine, and he can legitimately make plays downfield. So I, you know, I, if people want to know why why he was a a one year wonder, he didn't come on late. Um, it it's because of context. Um, and, and I think you saw last year when um, you know, when he at least has a quarterback that can get him the ball down the field. I I think his NFL projection, it's as it's as a wide receiver to pop the top guy like um. Uh uh, You know, older folks can sort of think about Dallas's offense when with Elvin Harper, you know, when, when you had Elvin Harper across from Michael Irvin so that you could open up, you know, the defense had to keep people back. They couldn't stack the box against Emmitt Smith that, you know, you couldn't roll too much coverage at Michael Irvin. Jay Novacek had more space to work. That's what a player like that does for you. Um, So I, I think Tyquan Thornton is an attractive receiver as well in this class. I, I have him 15. I, I'm ranking him pretty aggressively, but I've seen what he can do. Um, and again, all, all he needs is a quarterback with arm strength, and I, I think he's gonna he's gonna be an NFL caliber starter on one of the sides. I
0: agree completely. Uh, last guy I want to talk about, just because he ended up going to my high school, another wart on the PJ Fleck <laughs> recruiting trail, and that is Isaiah Weston, the pride of St. Michael Albertville High School. Also went to Northern Iowa and was a hyper productive receiver for the Panthers and ended up third all-time in the relative athletic score composite for athletic traits, one spot behind Christian Watson. What do you like about Isaiah Weston? How does he project, and where can he go um, in the draft?
2: Well, Tyler, I told you what I I put in my Weston scouting report, that he was the second most athletic specimen to come out of St. Michael since Tyler Fornas. So, um, but, you know, as as far as his game, um, I mean, what (laughs) – you know, you know, sort of playground ball for receiver, I guess, is the way that I would put it, the, the way that they used him. He, he's, he's an athletic freak for sure. And what they did, he was literally just the pop, the top guy. He just ran nine routes all the time. You know, it's like it's like Isaiah, when, when we say hot, you're just going to run as far and as deep. You know, it's like Forrest Gump, just just, just run straight, um, you know, and sometimes they throw him the ball. And oftentimes he was, you know, a decoy or whatever. Um, he, he's got to catch the ball better. Um, but he can get downfield. He can get downfield, and he's going to get downfield in the NFL as well. It's all going to come down to his hands. Um, it, it would be nice if we could teach him some more routes. But, but honestly, that for him, the, the gatekeeper to him being a long-term viability in the NFL, it's the hands. Because if the hands come along, and you have the, you're you're a one-trick pony, but you do have a trick. Um, he will, he'll hang in the NFL just with that. He wouldn't bounce up you know, unless he got much better at the other routes in addition to the hands getting better. But again, um, that's going to be the big thing for him, but the athleticism plays, um, he can get off the line. He's going to be able to get off the line in the NFL. He can be able to get downfield. Um, we'll just see beyond that. Can the ball skills improve?
0: Absolutely. Uh, he looks like a really nice day three target for a team that really wants a height, weight, speed guy feels like a Green Bay Packers target, but we'll see. As we move yeah. on to this tight end class, uh, this tight end class doesn't have a Kyle Pitts. It doesn't have an OJ Howard, a TJ Hawkinson, or a Noah fans. doesn't have a guy who's going to sneak into that first round. It has a lot of depth from about pick 50 to pick 150, where you could see upwards of 10, 12 guys come off the board. Who are the guys that know yeah, your tight end rankings haven't come out yet? That should be coming out here shortly as we were talking about pre-show. Who do you really like from this tight end class? And what style of tight end do you think is deepest? Is it the move guy, the inline H back, you know, what, where do you think the real value is with this
2: group? It's probably the, the move ones, um, you know, where, where there's, there's more of them, but I, you know, the inline guys, I, I, you know, I give them sort of extra credit or bump them up if they can block it all off, just cause you, you have more utility in the NFL that way The the big slots, um, they, you know, we've seen them over the years where I just, I'm not sure that, 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 that the big slot player has, you know, unless it's the Kyle Pitts, that's that's different. But like, you know, even like Evan Ingram was like a good example or was like a, a good version of this, you know, and he's just been sort of okay. So for me, if I can find an inline guy, um, you know, or a guy that can handle, you know, a decent amount of that work um, that has a well-rounded skill set, those are the kind of guys that I'm looking for. Um, you know, Tyler, a guy that we saw down in Mobile that impressed us a lot, Jeremy Ruckert, Um, I rank him uh, tight end three. So I I, I got him up uh, in my tight end rankings, by the way, come out on NBC Sports Edge tomorrow. Um, But I I do have him finalized. Um, Jake Ferguson, I I would say in comparison to most, I I like him a lot. Um, I have him at at tight end four. I actually have Jake Ferguson ahead of Greg Dulcich. Um, Ferguson is athletic. He has the frame. He, he, you know, he does inline, you know, he's a, a legitimate inline uh, projection and and player um, and he can receive, too. Um, he is, you know, you talk about context hurting a player. He has been in a really bad spot the last couple of years having to work with Graham Mertz. Uh, you know, it just it was not his game. But you go back a couple couple years ago, um, you know, when it was like Cone at the end, um, he looked really good. Ferguson looked really good as a receiver. I, I like him as a blocker. I, I think he's got chops as a receiver. So one of those those sort of dual threat inline guys. Um I I, I like him. Um some other guys further, uh Charlie Collar, I got a six. Um I, I think I like him more than others. Um he he tested better than we thought he was gonna. Um and then I would say Jelani Woods, but I, I feel like people, you know, at this point, like maybe I'm I'm just average. Like I, I have him eighth. You know, and I feel like at this point he's risen up enough. Uh, Daniel Bellinger, I I, I would say to yes. Daniel Bellinger is a yeah. D- Daniel Bellinger is we know that he's a stud. Like I, these are the kind of prospects that I like when you know that they're gonna they have at least one skill that absolutely will translate. And with Bellinger, it's his run blocking. But there's there's hidden value with him because San Diego State's offense they don't throw. They're basically the Wisconsin of the G five in nice weather you know, is, is, is how the, you know, their offense runs or whatever. They don't do a ton of throwing to the tight ends. Well, Bellinger, and by the way, I didn't, I'm, so I knew that Bellinger was a good run block, you know, watching you know those MWC games late at night, you know, over the year, you know, Tyler, we were doing quite a bit of that, you know, in, in the fall or whatever. You knew that you knew, you knew that he could knock people's heads, you know, blocking for Greg Bell or, you know, they've had a long line of, of, of good running backs there, but, you, you didn't get to see him much, you know, running downfield, testing the seam, you know, doing different stuff like that. So I, I didn't know what his athletic profile was going to be at all. And then he came out and he tested like a banshee. So D- Daniel Bellinger is a guy that I would have my eye on. You know, I, I have him ranked uh, a tight end nine. Like I, I have him above like Cole Turner and some guys like that, you know, that, that are maybe a little bit more popular. Um, I, I, I think Bellinger is a, a sleeper to, to, to keep an eye on.
0: And uh, you know how much I really like Bellinger's performance from the senior bowl really showed an athletic element that we did not see from the Wisconsin of the G5, which uh, I got to say is an all-time line. Never would have made that comparison, <laughs> but it makes so much sense. Um, and a- as we kind of transition forward to the mock draft, um, well, Dave's set that up, I got one more question about this tight end group. Like, who is going to be the best fit for the Vikings? Uh, inline is going to probably be more their forte with how they want to transition this offense. Ursa Jr., great move tight end. He's a capable blocker, but you probably want him kicking out. and You don't want him really blocking inline nearly as much as Kyle Rudolph when they ended up drafting him because it was kind of like a perfect yin-yang scenario. So uh, who would be this the guy that you would want the Vikings to take? I'm a big Rocker guy. Feels like Ferguson is just uh, Jeremy Rucker 2.0, where they're very similar players and they kind of come from a similar mold, just not a lot of usage, great frames. Um, Who would be your uh, targets for the Vikings?
2: I would say, so we're talking like later on in day three, or like day three targets, right? Likely day three, as early
0: as, I'd say as early as 77, and it would probably be the start for where they'd consider tight end, and then moving forward from there.
2: Okay. I would say for me, um, the, the guys I would look at Ferguson, like I mentioned, uh, Bellinger, uh, Cole Turner, I I think could deserve a look. Um, he certainly has the frame for it. Um, he's, he's got the receiving skill. We didn't see as much of it down in mobile, but we certainly saw it on tape. Um, and he tested, I mean, he tested better and he was moving around in mobile. So, um, I, I think people got, you know, certainly I did, you know, I know you did too, got a bad taste in their mouth from Turner at, at the senior bowl because he, he looked like he had some men in his shoes or something, but um, he, he has nice tape. He, he's the size of an inline guy. And by the way, he played inline there, you know, like last year, uh, 75% of his snaps came in line. So, um, you know, I mean, you got, you know, at least some of that, you know, he ain't a good blocker, but like he, you can put them at, at, you know, inline or whatever. Um, the, another guy later on, um, I would, two other guys, I would say for like, if we're going like further on into day three, that, that I would point them to Austin Allen, number one from Nebraska. Um, I, I definitely think he's got some sleeper chops tested in the 80th percentile size adjusted athleticism. And then out of this tight end class, you know, stacking the rankings, he was number three in PFF grade, number three in PFF receiving grade, number nine in PFF run block grade. Number 13 in PFF hands grade. This is a guy that played 72.8% of his snaps in line. Um, and again, tested in the 80th percentile. Uh, you know, as you know, Nebraska had this really wonky offense, you know, and, and with Adrian Martinez, they haven't been able to pass really well the last couple of years. So a guy like Austin Allen did not get to see, you know, did not have the correct platform to show, you know, what what that those movement skills on a guy that size. He he uh, um he he measured in it at, at Almost six eight, over six seven and a half, and two fifty two. So an athletic kid, very very rangy, um, and and he has shown per, on a per snap basis. Now you know, not in terms of the counting numbers, but per snap basis, he's shown some skill as a receiver, and, and also of course as a run blocker. The, the other guy I was going to mention is, I think he's he's the only guy in this this tight end class who's taller than him, Curtis Hodges. Uh, from Arizona State, he a guy who plays in the you know in line as well that has above average NFL athleticism coming in. He tested seventy uh, fourth percentile, um, but he's another guy that that acquitted himself well. You know both in you know in terms of run blocking, and then he showed some stuff as a receiver too. The way that they used him, it was like you know they they would you know I mean they would run run run. Of course, you know with they, they had the three headed monster at running back, and then Jaden Daniels or whatever. But with um, uh, Hodges, they would send him down the field. Um, quite a bit. You try to catch the defense napping and get him over the top in the seams or whatever. Um, he can make plays down there. Uh, his A dot last year from this class was uh, number twelve, um, and he he was also in the top ten in yards after catch per reception um, amongst his tight end class. So I, Curtis Hodges is going to go pretty late, but he's a guy who got you know the an in, in NFL combine invite, who has the requisite athleticism, who's one of the you know biggest tight ends in this class, um, and he can do a couple different things. So I, I'd look at him too.
0: And, you know, I, I lied. I have one more question because Drew, uh, who hosts the Vikings report on YouTube, who uh, I'm going to be on their show next week, mentions Jalen Weidermeyer. because Weidermeier, Weidermeier uh, was projected to be top one or two tight end in this class going into the year, had kind of a down season. Obviously, Zach Calzada throwing to him is really going to hinder that because even though we don't like Kellen Mond, Zach Calzada is still a, a pretty steep downgrade in the SEC from Mon himself. And then he tested absolutely abysmal, uh, running a 5.03 second 40-yard dash, which we knew he wasn't going to be fast, but that's that's cause for concern. How do you contextualize the testing versus the tape in the case of Weidermeyer?
2: Yeah, it's it's tough. Um, you know, you, you in 2020, you saw it. You know, I mean, th- there were some big games, too, where he made some real plays with, with Kellen Munn. Now, you rarely shot down the field. That's, why, that's how he tricked us. You know, it, it was all stuff within – you know, 10 yards or so, but in the intermediate area, um, you know, he did a good job shielding uh, uh, defenders, you know, with his back sort of rebounding and then getting his hands out there, catching, you know, plucking it clean in the air and stuff like that. Um, that's stuff he's good at and he can he can block too. So, you know, any, any, you know, pure inline guy or whatever in 2020, we, we, you know, they, you know, it, it was, it was, a, you know, you go back to circumstance and context. It, it was, it was context that behooved his game and he, he acquitted himself. Well, but like you mentioned this year, Mon, who was, you know, we can rip on him as Vikings fans, but he wasn't above average starter in the SEC for sure. And then this year, you know, is between Calzada and then the kid that got hurt at the beginning of the season, like, um, I mean, Calzada, they couldn't get him out of college station fast enough after this season. Um, so Weidermeyer, his, his receiving game, uh, you know, like you mentioned it, it went way down this pa- this past season. And then, you know, he of course went out and tested and, um, you know, it was like this sort of I mean, th- that was one of the most shocking, uh, you know, athletic profiles that was put out by by any player. And, I, you know, again, I, I think the reason that he fooled, a little, nobody thought he was crazy athletic. But, um, you know, I, I, no one expected him to be that poor of an athlete just because I, I think Jimbo sort of protected him really well by not, you know, you know, not sending him downfield, not sending him down the seam, stuff like that. Um my comp for him is uh, another guy that, that had, that sort of has a, you know, a similar story. Uh, Jared Pinkney, you remember him? Um, you know, where yeah. it was like, you know, a, 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 yeah, the, the, he had the one good year, maybe even two good years. And then this, the situation sort of changed around him and his game cratered And then, you know, he went and tested and, and didn't t- you know, test it poorly. Um, I, I still think that Weitermeyer, you know, like if you're in the the later in the sixth round or in the seventh round, and you need a tight end, I don't got no problem with that. I, I, I don't have any problem with that at all because C- you've seen, you know, the hands and the blocking. Um, he, he's going to be limited. He ain't, he ain't never going to start in the NFL, but, you know, if you needed a guy and you needed a depth guy um, and he sort of fit the specification of an inline guy that, you know, could at least be an outlet guy short, th- that would be fine. I guess, you know, I rank him 14. Um, so I, you know, I don't know. Um, you know, that's, that's right. Like I, I got him behind Austin Allen, for instance, behind uh, James Metro. I got him behind that kid from Maryland, you know. So he, he's just a guy for me. Makes total sense. And as Dave pulls up the Mock
0: Draft Simulator, uh, I want to remind everybody that this program is sponsored by Lake Monster Brewing, where the last time you saw Thor on this network, he was on Vikings Happy Hour Wednesday night with Matt and Ryan uh, having beers at the brewery itself. And don't forget, on Friday, April 29th, we will be live at Lake Monster Brewing for day two of the NFL Draft, sipping on some delicious beer and giving you guys live coverage of this the favorite spectacle of the year that is the NFL Draft. And Dave, let's pull up the simulator here. Thor.
1: Welcome to Climbing the Pockets Mock Draft Mondays. Who will the Vikings pick and who's your favorite choice?
0: Thor, I have a comment from my wife who says that you owe her $30 for this show.
2: It didn't, it didn't involve any gas or any driving. I, I feel like now she's just sort of laying me on the charges because she know I'll pay.
0: Oh, I, I can hear her from the hallway, and she's just laughing right now. So that's we got a good pop out of her, which is awesome. Um, Anyways, let's pull up the simulator. Thor, I'm going to kind of let you steer the ship here. I'll, I'll set the table. Oh, yeah. Just a quick three-round mock draft and take it any direction that, that you want, um, and then just kind of explain the reasoning. Um, Eric Edholm was on the show uh, last week, and he ended up taking Chris Olave with the first overall pick, which obviously I was a very big fan. Um, Stingley uh, ended up being on the board, but we kind of s- steered the ship away from that. All right. All right, Dave, you'll have to read the trades off. I cannot see. <laughs> first one, we
1: have Saints. Go down, drop to 16, take their fourth at 120 for our 12th. Other one is the, oh, these guys got cojones. Uh, Houston wants to give us their second, third, sixth, and a third next year for our first. And we have the Patriots wanting us drop down to 21 for a third and a sixth. Best value there would be the Saints if we pick it one for four, one and four plus for one.
2: I'm looking up the uh, the Hill trade part. charts. So our 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 pick at twelve is worth three hundred forty seven uh, three hundred forty seven points. The the Saints pick at sixteen is worth three oh five. So you got a discrepancy of what forty two, and then the uh, the hundred twenty pick is um twenty six. So we got to decline that.
1: Okay. <clears throat> declining them all. That was the best of the three.
2: Okay,
0: perfect. <clears throat> all right, so here, here's what we got on the board, Thor, as Dave kind of scrolls out here so we can see the available players. Come on. Jermaine Johnson's off the board, so is Sauce Garner. But we have uh, your favorite player, Derek Stingley Jr., Drake London, Kenny Pickett, hey, exactly. Jameson Williams, Jordan Davis, Trevor Penning, Andrew Booth Jr., Devontae Wyatt. So when you kind of take a look at the board, it does is not very favorable for the Minnesota Vikings. If you are not a Derek Stingley Jr. fan, what direction do you believe that they should
2: go here? Um, yeah, th- this this would be uh, um, a, a, one of the worst case scenarios as far as guys falling down. Um, you know, I'm 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 not a Stingley guy. Um, the uh, you know, I'm not sure if the receivers have utility for that. Do you, do you, like, you and Ed, home, do you guys actually think they would take a receiver at 12?
0: I think it is potential. Um, I think it's probably uh, 10%. But as I, I kind of mentioned pre-show, um, the whole point of Derrick Sinley Jr. to the Minnesota Vikings is really predicated on the information that the uh, new cornerbacks coach and Justin Jefferson and Patrick Peterson are able to give Kwesi Dolfo because uh, they have Derrick Singley Jr.'s position coach here. And obviously Jefferson played against him in practice. So there is uh, continuity there. If they say no to Derrick Singley Jr., that's a big red flag for us. And as far as uh, where he could go later on in the draft. Um, I think receivers potential. Uh, I just, it, like, as, the, as far as the board fell, the top four edges are off the board. Um, you have Sauce Gardner off the board. You could talk about McDuffie. You could talk about Andrew Booth Jr., Kyer Elam potentially. But is there true value at taking them at twelve? I don't know. Um, I've got a, a piece coming out for NBC Sports Edge uh, tomorrow talking about day two wide receivers. But the way this class is sitting with uh, these top five guys, I would, I think that they will be willing to take a guy and maximize positional value rather than take somebody like a Jordan
2: Davis. Yeah. Um, you know, for me here, I would go with Trent McDuffie. Um, you know, the guy that I call McDuffie Island. I, I, I know that some people got issues with him because of his arm arm length or whatever, anything that does anything that, you know, doesn't require a ruler to measure he has over Derek Stingley. Um, Mc, Mc, you know, he's the opposite in that, uh, McDuffie was a paragon of consistency in college, you know, and like three plus years, you know, just a shutdown guy in, in the PAC 12, um, the coverage grades great every year. Um, you know, barely gave up any yards his entire career. Um, so I mean, that, that's who I would go with. I, I think, you know, in, in the Ed Donatel system, you don't need the freaks. What they need is, you know, guys who are athletic enough, you know, for sure. Um, but you know, they're looking for smart uh, football players as well, you know, sort of like Patrick Sertan last year with the Broncos. So, um, you know, with the reservations in mind about McDuffie's arm length, I, I'm taking him anyway. If nothing else, he's going to be a stud slot corner for you right away. Well, the Vikings need that too. The, the Vikings need everything in the secondary. So um, Derek Stingley, the, the profile is just too risky. You, you don't you don't see players in the first round with that profile um, where, you know, he was only good for one year in college. And that, that year was in 2019 as a true freshman, two plus years ago, on one of the great modern teams in college football history, Um, where it was a pretty advantageous situation for Derek Stingley. Next year, we saw all the coverage breakdowns. This past year, uh, he got injured right away, torn ligament in his foot, a list frank, and that could be, you know, we have seen players where that has really derailed their career. Obviously, he tested well, but, uh, you know, it's something that you can't just put away. So I'll go with McBuffy.
0: Hey, uh, and we forgot to mention what's really important here. Uh, The Draft Network Simulator had Malik was going to the Lions. So we have that going for
2: us. They are I, going to be Matt, on the right Matt, side of history. I, I, I would like to uh, respond to, to Matt down there. I didn't know who was on the board, my man. Like, I, you know, how, how was I? How was I was, I don't know. You know, and, and by the way, only a fourth, a fourth rounder to, to drop down four picks. If that was actually the board, I'm probably just, just taking McDuffie.
0: Me, yeah, the, the value's not there. If they offer a third round pick, you're probably taking that offer and you're taking the rest of McDuffie goes off. But, not for yeah, a four. Sure, that's sure. just not enough value. All right, so know. we have the Patriots, 54 and 200 for 46. That's a no. Um, yeah. And then uh, the other offer is going on to 16, you get 133. I don't think that's enough either. Uh,
2: 133 is 19, yeah. Okay, probably not. One thir- one, yeah, and then 54 is was 104 points. Ours is 128 Okay, we can decline them. Um All right,
0: so here's what we've got, Thor. We've got Quay Walker, Matt Corral, Jaquan Brisker, Christian Harris, uh, your boy, Kenny Walker, Howell, Jalen Petrie, Isaiah Spiller, Brees Hall, Sean Ryan, and the best fat lead of them all, Daniel Falele.
2: Wait, uh, uh, Corral? This is the second round. Corral hasn't been taken? Yes. Okay, What? Well, I- I mean, this is not going to happen in real life, but uh, I it, I would take Matt Corral here. I, I think, I mean, you know, just for me, you sort of have to at this point with the value. He's the only guy, other guy in the class outside of Malik Willis that hit where his ceiling, if he hits it, he's going to be a top 10 starter in the NFL. If if he was available at 46, I, you know, I don't care that you gave Cousins the extension. Uh, we, we're, we're taking Matt Corral. There we go.
0: Matt Corral, Ole Miss, is now a Minnesota Viking, where hopefully Kevin O'Connell can uh, run a couple RPOs for him as he gets acclimated uh, to being the clipboard holder for Kirk Cousins. Um, We're going to get offered a bevy of trades here um, as we progress through this mock draft. We can give up 156 to go up to 58. Um, My kind of philosophy here, Thor, is I don't accept offers that are wild or uh, ones that just would never happen in real life because it's try to give realistic situations to the people. So I would say no.
2: Okay. I was wanting to trade up for Petrie. Oh, no, Petrie just went. Damn it. Okay. So, so you're, like you're, jumping up, right you're jumping up. This one right here. You're jumping up. For, so it's,
0: you go up 14 here, here, and you drop 53 later on.
2: So, our picks are, uh, they're worth, the first one's worth 60, and then 156 is worth 11, so 71 points. And then we got, oh, since his pick is worth 82, I, I mean, I think, I, I just think we got to take it. Yeah, we got to right. take Let's that take one. Take it. Uh, that's, a, that's, that's a done deal. Stinks that uh, Petrie
0: was off the board because I know how much you and I value his skill set. But we do have some really good players. Um, Chad Muma. Travis Jones is still on the board, which is a little bit of a surprise. Uh, David Bell, John Mechie, uh, Josh Paschal, Carson Strong. Uh, If you really want to mess with Kirk Cousins, just give him two guys fighting for his job. Isaiah Likely, Brian Asamoah, Darian Kennard, Darian Beavers, Kingsley Enigbari, and Leo
2: Chanel. Okay, well... (laughs) It's crazy that Brees Hall is still here. I, I, you know, I'm not sure that we could take a running back, but I, I mean, he definitely shouldn't be here. Travis Jones shouldn't be here either. I mean that that might have to be the pick. Um, I, I do like the linebacker. Both Muma and Chanel are are very interesting to me here. Um, I, I don't have any interest in John Matchy here. I don't have interest in David Bell here. Um, McBride, you know he. Uh, I'm waiting on the tight end if I'm the Vikings. Uh, Here's my question about
0: Chanel for you. Do you believe that he could rush off the edge? I know he had a really nice uh, pass rushing grades. A lot of that came from blitzing. Uh, do you think that they could utilize him as an edge rusher and in and sub-packages move either Smith or Hunter to the inside?
2: Um, maybe just a bit off the edge, you know. I mean, they're switching to a three-four this year, so that that would certainly make it easier for him. But um, you know, I mean, for him, I I'd, I'd want him in off ball. I, I think that's where you see the manifestation of his sideline to sideline more. So that's where I, that's where I'd be having him. Um, but yeah, I, I think you can certainly get situational, a lot of situational value out of him. You know, as a blitzer coming from all directions. Um, I don't know where you're thinking here, Tyler. I'm I'm, I'm leaning Travis Jones for sure.
0: Yeah, that's kind of what I'm thinking because in my opinion that's best player available Jones for me is going to have a second round grade. I think outside of the alien that is Jordan Davis, Travis Jones is the best defensive tackle in this class. I, he he has a better pass rush game than most people want to give him credit for and he's a great get, like two gapper in the middle and he's he's got real a high upside athleticism tested, that I believe in the 96th percentile for interior he's defensive linemen.
2: He's a multi free cluster. Uh, you know, out, out of UConn, yeah. I mean, he, you know, made the Feldman free class a couple of times. So, yeah, I mean, the, the kids are a really, really good athlete. He, such a good athlete that he was standing out, you know, in UConn games where, you know, I mean, like got some real chatter. So, yeah, he, he's a good player.
0: Travis Jones, it is. Now, this draft is very interesting because we really took a best player available approach. Trent McDuffie in the first round, Matt Corral in the second and Travis Jones in the in. Uh, we moved up for him to get him in the second as well um obviously this doesn't hit a lot of necessary needs thor but how do you feel about just getting three really good players in these guys
2: i'm feeling good so far all right i'm oh are we done okay well no i feel great yeah you know, we're we're leaving friday night we're we're very excited you know we we didn't come into this draft thinking we were gonna get matt We weren't thinking about that but We'll take that. If nothing else, we you know might be able to trade him in the season. Oh, I mean, hopefully you can trade Cousins and let him start. But um, you know, love that pick. Travis Jones shouldn't have been there. Um, you know, and again, I I think McDuffie's worth the twelve pick. So I mean, th- that's a kid. He he reminds me a lot of Jair Alexander, uh, coming out. You know, Jair played with Lamar Jackson at Louisville, and McDuff, and, and Jair Alexander had a lot of similar questions about him. It's like, oh, you know, yeah, I re- I know he was dominant in the ACC. And I know he shut down literally every receiver that he faced, even the, you know, the high end NFL ones, but man, is he small, you know? So like, is he going to have to play, you know, in in the slot, whatever, you know, is is his game viable? Um, It it reminds me a lot of the McDuffie stuff. So, you know, for me, you know, would Jair Alexander have gone 12th his year? He sure would have. So, you know, I'm good with McDuffie Mm -hmm.
0: there. Yeah. And I mean, Alexander did not fall very far because the Packers traded up to get him, I believe at 18 overall. Um, the main difference with Alexander McDuffie for me is just the length. Uh, uh, you could argue because McDuffie's length, he's not going to be quite as successful. I really don't care that much about it, considering how great he was in the Pac-12, uh, being successful against guys like Drake London. Um, Alexander's length, I think it was 31 and three quarters, where um, McDuffie's is 29 and three quarters. But that's if you give him an extra quarter inch, if you can uh, hire Kenny Pickett's hand stretcher to stretch out that arm just a little bit and maximize that, I think you're going to be sitting just fine. Um, Thor, I greatly appreciate you having uh, you coming on the show today. Um, obviously, we have a ton of great stuff coming at NBC Sports Edge throughout the next 17 days. I know you have a ton of great content on the docket. What should the people be looking at for what you have coming?
2: Yeah, I'm dropping my tight end rankings tomorrow. Um, day after that, I think it's offensive tackle. Day after that, it's interior offensive line. Like it's, you know, almost every single day, be dropping a new position rankings, and then leading up to. We only got 17 days left. Actually, two weeks from today is the day that we're scheduled to drop the Thor 500, my 500 player big board with 500 comps. So, I mean, that's what I'm. You know, my, you know, my the position rankings and stuff like that, leading up to that. Uh, very exciting time.
0: It, it is a very exciting time, and make sure you tune in too both Climbing the Pocket and NBC Sports Edge, for all of your draft needs for both the Minnesota Vikings and a uh, national standpoint. Dave, my man, welcome to the show. Hey, I'm here. Behind the hey, scenes. Absol- hey, we appreciate you behind the scenes. Um, what does uh, the network have going on this week that we can tell the good people about?
1: In the Huddle is up in the air for tomorrow. Don't know? We will find out. Uh, Vikings Happy Hour on Wednesday, another great show, guests coming, because uh, Matt Anderson hasn't booked all the way through to the draft. And after that, I don't know if there's going to be an in the huddle or not. There's supposed to be. It was supposed to be last week, so it got bumped one week. Hopefully Eric Thompson and his wife get their calendars squared away, and we don't have that issue again. And then, of course, on the weekend, you'll find me and Darren Campbell for Two Old Bloggers once again as we take our deep dive into actually what is reality when it comes to the draft, how many players actually do hit, and what you can expect.
0: That sounds like a fantastic lineup. And I do know, Thor, that uh, the guest that Matt has booked is our co-worker, Chrissy Freud, uh, from NBC Sports oh, yeah. Edge and the Draft Networks. So that's that's going to be a must-watch show. There is nobody that we know that uh, understands the quarterback position more than Chrissy, and she's going to be a tremendous ad uh, for her. Thor, anything else you want to say to the good people out there before we take off for the evening?
2: No, thanks for hanging out. Um, thanks for hanging out with us, Tyler. Good talking to you, as always. And uh, tell your wife that 30 bucks, its it's in route. <laughs> <laughs> Will do.
0: I'll also tell her that you said rock chalk as I know you're still partying from last Monday's beautiful game. Um, you know, at home. Uh, Ed home was. Uh, I'm sure he was happy for you. Um, in the meantime, I would like to uh, from you. Dave. Like to yeah, absolutely. Uh, from Dave in the in the truck. Um, from my guest Thor. I am Tyler. Thank you for joining tonight's show, and we will see you next week. We will have blue chip scoutings. Mike Kernishan and Devin Jackson, we're going to talk sleepers, that low-level guys that you need to keep your eye out for on draft day. Until then, thanks for letting us turn your money purple, and skull. Skull Viking. Thanks for watching. Like, subscribe,
1: and ring the bell, and rate us on your favorite aggregator. And a special shout-out goes to our partners, The Daily Norseman, where the best Vikings content can be found, and to Lake Monster Brewing. Home of the best beer in Minnesota. Skol, everybody.